We are here at the ISM 2016 conference in Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the uh, Indianapolis 500 and the Brickyard. But we're talking about supply chain management today, and we are here with Jim Barnes, who's Managing Director of ISM Services. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Jim, I'm going to have you explain to our audience what ISM Services is and what it does. If you would, please. Sure, sure. So uh, if you think of ISM as a three-legged stool, uh, the main ISM does this conference annually that has over 2,500 people attending. Uh, we have the report on business and the PMI that comes out the first of every month that uh, moves markets at times, and the CPSM certification for supply managers. Um, the other second leg would be um, CAPS Research, and CAPS is a benchmarking group that's a joint venture with Arizona State University, and then my group focused on corporations and helping corporations avail themselves of ISM's best practices and training and diagnostics that, that we can uh, help companies so that they understand the competencies and the learning roadmaps they need for their people. You mentioned that uh, there will be 2,500 people here over the next couple of days. That's not your full membership, obviously. What is your membership presently? Right. So our total membership is over 50,000 people. We're the largest supply management not-for-profit organization in the world. Uh, we have members in just about every corner of the world as well. Right. Jim, the uh, CPSM, is that created by ISM, administered by ISM services? What's the, how does it get executed? If I want to become a CPSM, what do I do? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, CPSM is an ISM uh, certification product. It's passing three exams. Uh, you also have to have at least three years of experience um, in a supply management job. So CPSM is um, the standard, if you will, for being tested for your knowledge and understanding supply management. Um, ISM services can help companies because we focus on corporations. Mm -hmm. um, so if a corporation wants to get a cohort of individuals, and we just had a utility had 15 people, oh. um, get prepared for exam one, we will do a three-day course uh, on location to train people up in the types of questions that are, that are put in front of them, the subject matter, and uh, you know, hopefully help them pass the test. Okay. And is there another, is there a CPM? So CPM preceded CPSM, Got it. and uh, that had been around for a few decades, and in 2008, we introduced the CPSM for supply management because purchasing and procurement really changed and has continued to change at a rapid pace in terms of how broad and how influencing it is in the organization, and so there's a lot more business acumen in this second version of C the CPSM. Um, and a lot, a lot of touching on things like logistics that may not, may not have been in the CPSM exam or CPM exam. Pardon me. So, uh, companies who are going for these certifications, uh, aside from educating the employees and the, the supply chain people, uh, is there is there an ROI in this? Uh, obviously, there's a cost in doing this. Is, is there a financial benefit for them to go through the process? Right. So. Um, Two things on that. One is for the individual, there's an ROI. Um, CPSMs have a 9% higher wage than people in the same job without a CPSM. So there's an individual benefit. Yeah, that's a benefit. Yep. And for the companies, A, it shows an investment in the people. So if they help them get their CPSM in some way, either financially or giving them time to study, that kind of thing, it's an investment in the people. Um, and you can look at an ROI coming out of it in terms of looking at projects that could be related to CPSM topics. So what we do sometimes is we will uh, get involved with post-CPSM uh, application of what they learn and have people apply.
apply a specific technique to a project that should turn a return, and then we'll report on that return to the company. Mm-hmm. So it's coaching kind of work for us. So it's, uh, as you said earlier, this is not a consulting gig. It is a uh, cooperative coaching. That's right. That's correct. In my, my background, I, I've been in professional services for 30 years, and some of that was in consulting. And I'm very proud to say that we're not consultants. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people, he didn't mean that if any of you were consultants. He didn't mean to offend anybody. Right? <laughs> sure, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and they're my friends, too. <laughs> For work. Yeah. Right, exactly. exactly. Jim, uh, logistics, IT, supply chain, that used to be kind of the backwaters of corporate America. Where do you see them today? Where do you see them tomorrow? Yeah, that's definitely true in the past. And actually, in some industries, they haven't quite caught up, I think, to, oh to, the, to, the, to the current uh, uh, way of being. So what's, what's happening is that the, the purchasing, the old purchasing ways of doing things are getting automated. So any process can be automated, and that's happening mm-hmm. over time. And so um, people who are, have been focused on that tactical kind of purchasing, those jobs are going away. Um, and the strategic influence of supply chain and supply management is becoming much more important to companies, especially in the current economy. So if you think about how do you increase profits, you can increase sales and, and increase profits. Well, if, if you're selling to the oil industry right now, you're not increasing sales. <laughs> right. Right. So the thing you're focused on for Martin is reducing your cost of goods sold, trying to, to, to rein in uh, the spend that you have in certain areas, and that's where supply management really comes in. So it's right now in certain industries, especially those serving uh, their customers where the customers are having a hard time, like oil and gas, uh, they're very interested in supply management providing more value to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, and when you say the tactical job is disappearing, what's the tactical job? So um, there's sort of three different groups, if you will, when you think about the jobs in supply management. The most tactical would be back office, so procure to pay, um, payables, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All of those, a lot of those jobs are at least becoming centralized into a uh, shared service center. Um, and when they do that, they reduce the number of jobs in it, mm-hmm. and they're leveraging systems to do to do the work and do the paying and the payment portals that companies have and that kind of thing. So. Those jobs are going away over time. The second level would be more buyer planner roles in the plant, let's say, if it's manufacturing. And those buyer planner roles are important right now, and especially if you're lean and you're doing Kanban and those kinds of things, people have to pick up the, the ticket and you know, order the new goods. Um, but uh, those jobs are getting slimmed down, so there are less of those than there were in the old days because you're not doing manual work orders. You know, you think right. are much more, and when you have MRP, you've got all these things that, that are automating. And then there's the strategic job, and the strategic job is the growing area of supply management. So a lot of the work we do for companies is around training people who are capable of doing those strategic jobs to do the analysis of markets, to do the analysis of supplier financials, to be able to negotiate better with suppliers. All of those things are much more strategic and have to involve the rest of the organization, so it's very cross-functional as well. Mm-hmm. Some of these uh, job functions that you were talking about, not only are they being centralized, but they're also being outsourced. Correct. Uh, so there's a lot of that where they lose the employees altogether uh, to not outsource uh, uh, the vendor. That's right. That's right, yeah. And uh, and they can be anywhere, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's happening a lot. Uh, it was offshored to uh, India mm-hmm. initially. Um, 
other countries as well, Vietnam now, uh, and some nearshoring is occurring because uh, uh, Mexico, frankly, is very cheap when it comes mm-hmm. to labor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, clearly it is. Uh, now, Jim, in, in ISM services, I know last year there was a, a kind of a reintroduction of the certification program. Can you give us kind of a review of that and how you guys helped implement it? Because it, it was pretty dazzling last year about how you had broken that down. Yeah, so what, what we did was we created the ISM Mastery Model. And that has 16 core competencies to it that connect to all of our content, whether it's CPSM certification content or non-CPSM uh, type of content that we help companies with. And there are, are 73 sub-competencies that make up those wow. competencies. So um, what we're capable of doing is taking a look at the organization against those sub-competencies at that detailed level and either judging how they're doing today as an organization, or we can put the individuals through a survey where they self-assess their current capability from foundational to proficient to advanced to mastery. So those are the four levels. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they do that, they they get the results and can say, oh, gee, we've got these half dozen areas out of the 73 uh, 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 sub-competencies where we need to focus on could be negotiations, it could be areas of business acumen like um, stakeholder management, it could be financial analysis. That's a very popular one right now. Um, so uh, we're able to actually address the things that are, they need addressing, not just give them a canned program. Mm-hmm. Right. So are they pretty much uh, customized to a particular yeah. manufacturer's business model? Correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's really important because no, no two companies are identical, right? right. And so um, uh, what we'll do is we will, when we're getting the learning roadmap together, pull our best practice content together, grab their processes. So they may have a strategic sourcing process that they want everybody in the world to use. And I'm, I'm thinking of a company right now that's 30 plants around the world. Mm-hmm. And they, were, they, were, um, they grew through acquisition. So you can imagine oh, each one was yeah. different, right? Yeah, right. And, yeah. So, so getting a common process in place, getting a common tool set, having people use the same words to describe things was a big deal. And so, uh, and that should translate into ROI right, right. away. So, right. so that's exactly what we'll do is we'll take whatever they've got today. We'll even go get stories from them to create exercises and case studies. Because the worst thing you can do in training is death by PowerPoint, right? We don't want to do that. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We want people doing exercises. If 30 minutes into something, maybe 45 of the most, we're getting them doing it, you know, practicing the financial analysis, practicing a negotiation. Jim, the ROI on this kind of training, you know, corporations typically look at training as it's an expense, I don't want to do it, again, it's a backwater. It doesn't sound like this with ISM services. I see a very quick ROI here, and a significant one. Yes, yes. Uh, I think we, we figured out the model, which, is, which right. is this active learning, experiential learning technique with follow-up and real projects. So at the end of most of our workshops, we have action planning that takes a couple of hours. And the first hour is they've got to use the tools and templates to say, this is what I'm going to commit to do that's going to get a return. And then everybody in the room goes around and tells their project to the whole room. So there's pressure for everybody <laughs> to do it, right? And, and then we follow up on those projects and report back to the chief procurement officer or whoever sponsored the work. And it, that usually gets at least a 40 to 1 return on the cost of the training. Wow. Yeah. It's a number. <laughs> yeah. And a lot more than that in some cases. Get those opportunities. Do you have any uh, uh, 
case studies of uh, dramatic, uh, dramatic uh, turnarounds. Yeah, uh, that yeah. you can share with our listeners. Yeah, we uh, the manufacturing company I just mentioned before that has 30 plants um, is in the gearing and, and clutch and brake business. Not very, not very uh, a fancy business, right? No. Um, and uh, <laughs> they are uh, in the middle of doing a bunch of workshops that are bringing everybody on board on the same process, and, and these workshops are very intense. And at the end, th- we came out with about a seven million dollar opportunity for them to improve um, in one year. Wow. Right. And they already have three and a half, so they're halfway there in four months. And no, it was about four months of the year. So, so let me ask you a question. Um, All Metals and Forge Group, our primary uh, company, uh, we uh, adopted uh, ISO 9000 in 1994. And one of the big problems that ISO had in, in this country was a lot of pushback from the employees. You know, why do we have to do it? Why does this? Why that? Why don't we do it the old way? And it, it finally took uh, a... A rather startling event. Uh, we, we got our, uh, our approval, our registration uh, certificate on a particular day, and one of the salespeople uh, got a phone call from a prospect, not a customer, who said, listen, uh, I need to buy a certain type of forging, but I have to buy it from an ISO certified forger. And uh, we got our certificate that day, and as I remember, it's something like a $50,000 order, and that solved the problem with our sales department. That's right. So what kind of pushback uh, are you involved with when you have 30 plants and people from all over the world? And different cultures. And different yeah. cultures yeah. and so on. Yeah. Um, of course, there's pushback, right? Uh, so uh, uh, there are a few things that are key to that. One is having very clear metrics that everybody gets measured by. And it doesn't mean you can have additional. You can't have additional metrics that kind of prove other points about your particular plant and why it's special. But these five metrics that we're putting in place, everybody has to measure, and the CFO of the entire organization is looking at it, and they get posted, so everybody sees each other's performance. Well, so that kind of pressure, the wall of shame, yeah. that happens, right, <laughs> yeah. can really make a difference. Um, and the other is that we're here to help. So it's it's. Uh, the people who are the biggest resistors, when you can get them to then become your evangelists, mm-hmm. other other people who are fence sitters come on board as well. Yes. So yes. It's, it's just like stakeholder management. You have to identify who's who. And frankly, some people don't make it through change, right? right. And, and right. it can be as many as a third of the people can, can, can you know, over a period of time, lose their jobs and be replaced. Have you had that happen? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, we don't advocate that. We're not there to yes. cut heads. But that's just the reality is some people cannot make the, the cross the, the changing uh, threshold. What kind of consultant did they call this? Cost-cutting uh, consultants <laughs> yeah, back right. in the 70s and 80s? That's right. Yeah. Chainsaw Al, I think. Yeah. One of <laughs> 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 well, those are significant returns on investment. Now, you mentioned that at the end of the coursework, they're doing a project, but it sounds to me like this is a real-world project. It's their real job. Correct. Yeah, it's usually incremental to anything they've ever done. They've done before. Sometimes it's a an increase in a current project to get more, mm-hmm. um, but it has to be some somewhat incremental. And it's using the tools, techniques that they just learned or got reinforced because you do have some experienced people there, right? Right. Um, and 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 they're actually going to go use it this time and do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll track that. They'll come back and 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 give stories, and we'll have uh, virtual learning sessions, which are. Uh, standing in front of a, a, a web camera for myself 
or one of our folks that does the training, and, and having people read out the results that they've had. And again, that's a little bit of competition and, and, and also encourages others to go after opportunities. In uh, ISO, for example, the lead person who is promoting the ISO and is uh, totally answerable and responsible for it is usually the CEO or president of the company. Who's the spearhead in uh, the ISM services uh, project Right, it, it really within the company? That's a good question because it really varies. Um, with with mid-sized companies, so I would say uh, $1.5 billion and below, uh, very often it is the CFO and CEO mm-hmm. that are doing it. Uh, with larger companies, um, when we're doing the mastery model, it's usually a chief procurement officer or some designated person mm-hmm. to, to run things if it's a large organization. Um, and occasionally we'll get people who don't want to do the assessment and they just want training. And of course we'll give training where, where it's needed. And in that case, it can even be somebody from learning and develop with development within a large organization who has responsibility for the supply management organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so those are sort of the three types of people that we wind up working with. Um, sometimes the learning and development people do a great job of trying to get sort of ROI as well. Right. Often enough, they're just checking a box that they gave training. You know, kind mm-hmm. of the back order that you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's something we you know we'll do, but we're, we do it to get in and try to encourage them to do more. Correct me if I'm wrong. The mastery segment of your program was only announced last year. Correct. And how how is that progressing in terms of uh, your membership and so on? Yeah. So um, there's two things. What we're doing with it, and we've been doing for a year now is we're using the model to do a, an assessment of competencies over the web, which is done uh, through a tool we have. And um, we'll give those results both to the individuals and to the managers mm-hmm. of that company so they can help them close gaps. Um, and so we've been doing that uh, for about a year. And I would say uh, the amount of work we did around that last year, we're going to do three times the next year. Mm-hmm. So because it's just new. Yeah. And the first year is going to be slow. Right. Um, and, and it wasn't slow. When we had plenty to do, but it's going to be even more. Um, the second part of that is we're introducing an ability for an individual to go select different parts of the mastery model that they want to go test themselves with. And so individuals can, can privately, if you will, mm-hmm. test themselves in terms of the competency model. And so that's sort of our retail approach, if you will, to the individual right. member of ISM that can go to yeah. that. So we have both the corporate approach and the individual approach. Well, I was going to ask you how busy you are, because it seems to me with these kind of ROIs, with this kind of an excellent program to, to bring uh, people forward in their supply chain careers, you got to be busy. This is neat stuff. Yeah, we're, we're running around a lot to deliver. Um, this is why we're big on the virtual learning uh, opportunities <laughs> so that uh, company, and companies do want that virtual learning because um, it's expensive to get everybody to fly into, you know, Charlotte right. for uh, four days of training. And uh, four days is a lot. You know, sometimes we only do two days. Uh, but to get them to come in is very expensive both from a travel standpoint and the people are out of their jobs. And if they're working at a small plant, they right. can't really afford to be gone that long yeah. right? as well. So virtual learning is breaking up those workshops into 90 to 120 minutes and having, say, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday sequence to get one day of on-site mm-hmm. workshop done and homework in between. And we still wind up with action plans at the end for people, even in virtual learning. That's good. That's good. Uh, glad to hear that they're they're doing this type of a program because companies obviously need help in making change 
in uh, creating new business models and so on. And, right. Uh, yeah, we have a great amount of uh, respect for ISM, and we've been connected with them for several years now. So we, we really appreciate your uh, coming on our show. And uh, Tim? Jim, before you disappear from the show, can you share with anyone who's listening how they can, uh, where do they go on the web to find out what they need to find out? Well, um, our ISM website um, does have uh, uh, links to CPSM. It has links to uh, our corporate learning, um, and it has all kinds of other resources. If you're a member and you sign in, you get a lot of stuff for free. Uh, if you're not a member, you can still look around <laughs> and, 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 and ask questions, and, and we'll try to help you. I mean, we're, we're, we're not for, you know, ISMs are not-for-profit, so uh, you know, our reason for being is to help the profession to do a better job, and that's from the individual to the company. Great. We've been speaking with Jim Barnes, who's the Managing Director of ISM Services. Jim, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. We've enjoyed having you. We'll be back a little bit later with some more information from ISM 2016 in Indianapolis, Indiana. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.